Amen. Well, we've had some great speakers this week, and uh, we've enjoyed them all. And uh, we've kindly saved the best for last, we feel like, and uh, with Dr. Decker. Uh, Dr. Decker, of course, you recognize that name. He's uh, Pastor Nick's father. Last night we had Pastor Zach preach, and, and uh, that, uh, he's Pastor Zach's father also. Sunday night we had Pastor Matt Smith preach, and, and uh, Dr. Decker is his father-in-law. And uh, so he's had a, a lot of influence and a lot of lives over the years. Dr. Decker has been preaching 35 years, pastoring 33 years, and he's been at Triad, where he is now as pastor, for 25 years. And Triad is really, I guess, uh, this is just uh, my assumption, I guess it's one of the largest Baptist churches in the whole area. And uh, God has blessed it, uh, his ministry, in a wonderful way. He's also uh, taught and been on the board of directors at Piedmont for 31 years. And uh, he's been married 39 years and to his uh, wife that's right beside him. By the way, Mrs. Decker has been here just about every night this week listening to her kids. <laughs> and um, they have four children and nine grandchildren with one on the way. We know who that one on the way is, don't we? Yeah. So we're so glad to have Dr. Decker with us tonight. Let's welcome him as he comes. You come, my brother. He doesn't like to be touched. <laughs> Where is Faith? Did you go out this way? She go? Oh, okay. I, I saw you go over that way. And, and uh, her husband's here tonight, Danny. Danny is a member in our church with Faith, and uh, he serves uh, in our senior ministry with our senior care, and we call them the faithful friends over at Triad, and uh, he just took that over here recently. He and his wife have been helping uh, take care of that, and they were looking to go to, uh, where are you going this Saturday? Bryson City, take that train ride, right? Yeah, that's an incredible train ride. I don't know if you ever had the chance to do that, but anyways, he's, they're taking a bunch of senior citizens up there. He's a teacher over at the Forsyth County Schools, teaches middle school. That's why he's crazy. So you yeah, want to be careful being around him too close. But uh, take your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 22. Good to have Ian here tonight. Ian was one of my students uh, at when it was Piedmont. Now it's Carolina, but uh, good to have you here tonight with us too. Thanks for visiting. Appreciate it. Um, he called me Daddy Bear last night, but I like Papa Bear better. Uh, my kids, grandkids call me Papa, and I have loved that season of my life. It's been such a joy. Uh, we'd be around the kids all the time if we could. Luke chapter, did I say 23? That's the one I meant, Luke 23. And um, anyways, uh, appreciate that song, Faith. Those were beautiful. Thank you so much for that, and thanks for coming tonight. Um, Pastor Luttrell sent me a few of those questions that I answered, or he answered tonight, and uh, when he did it, he texted it wrong. He said, how long have you been pastoring? And he put, how long have you been pestering? <laughs> I've been pestering my whole life, so <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Anyways, uh, thank you for having me tonight. It's been a joy, and thank you for the way you've loved on my kids. I so appreciate that, and uh, 
just a trust I have in you and just a respect I have for you and what you've done as well and the way you've invested in them. So I appreciate it so much. All right, tonight we're going to talk about getting through life's bad days. Getting through life's bad days. These, uh, this is my sermon tonight, and I'm going to talk about two people. Two people. And I'm going to give you two people tonight that we're going to talk about. The first person is Alexander the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. He had a rough life, I'm telling you. Alexander says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony said, hey, look, I got a Corvette Stingray car in my breakfast cereal box. Nick said, I got a junior undercover agent ring in my breakfast cereal box. Alexander said, hey, look, I got a breakfast cereal in my breakfast cereal box. Then there was a carpool. Philip said, oh, boy, I got a seat by the window. Albert, me too. Paul, me too. Alexander said, I'm being scrunched. I'm being smashed. If I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could feel that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Then at my school, my teacher, Mrs. Dickens, said, Alexander, I do think Paul's picture of the sailboat is much nicer than your picture of the invisible castle. (laughs) At singing time, you sang too loud, and at counting time, you left out 16. Alexander said, oh, who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul was acting rotten. Paul said, Alexander, you aren't my best friend anymore. Philip Baker is my best friend, and Albert Mayo is my next best friend. You are only my third best friend. Alexander said, I hope you sit on a tack. I hope that next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream falls off the cone part and lands someplace, maybe in Australia. Things were even worse at lunchtime. Philip said, look, I got two cupcakes for lunch. Albert said, I got a Hershey bar with almonds for dessert. Paul said, well, my mom gave me a piece of jelly roll with little coconut sprinkles on it. Alexander said, guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? Oh, this is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it is. At supper that evening, Nick said, oh, yum, lima beans for supper. Alexander said, I hate lima beans. um, Nick said, give me back my pillow. Alexander said, you said I could keep it. Nick said, I changed my mind. Alexander said, oh, dear, the Mickey Mouse nightlight just burned out. The dog doesn't want to sleep with me. He wants to sleep with Anthony. It has to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But my mom says, some days are like that, even in Australia. That's a great little book. I don't know if you've read to the kids, and we've read that to the kids a hundred times when they were growing up, and I thought about the comparison of that young boy's life as a terrible, no good, horrible, very bad day, but I want to talk about someone in the Word of God that had a horrible, very bad day, and his day is like on any other day, and so I picked a very special day in his life. I hope you can guess. It was Jesus's worst day, his worst day. All of us have very bad days, but Jesus had a very bad day on that day. We call it Good Friday. (laughs) It wasn't good for him. It was very bad for him. And yet we try to eulogize it as a Good Friday, but to Jesus Christ, it was the worst day of his life. If there was a day that he deserved to be able to quit, that would have been the day that he could have quit. And we're going to study how he did it. 
And the place to start was his worst day. The worst day when he took the brutality of scourging, the crown, the nails, the cross, the spears. It is horrific in and of itself. But amazingly, he's still teaching us how to get through a very bad day in our life. It's amazing to me. He goes to the cross and he teaches us on the cross. The Bible doesn't say this. They spit on him. And he, spitting back, said, isn't it amazing what we can learn from Jesus on the cross? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Hanging there, he made seven statements on the cross. And he teaches us how to live through a very bad day. So I call this message tonight the seven life lessons around the cross. That's how I've organized the sermon. Seven life lessons around the cross. And I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to take notes on the points and then I'd like you to put them on a piece of paper or stick them to your fridge or put them in your calendar or on a computer. Let me tell you something. These have been so helpful to me in my life. And every time I see them, they remind me of the seven ways to get through a very bad day. And so I want to talk to you about that from the Word of God. And, and, and I'm hoping just two or three will stick with you. Matter of fact, for some of you, I just wish one, just one would stick with you. And I believe if you would just let two or three stick with you before you go home tonight, It'll put wind back in your sails, and it'll make you run a little more effectively for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's where we're going to go tonight. Number one, you ready? Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Forgive everyone who's trying to live, ruin your life. He says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, watch this now. And he says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Right there, Jesus has been beaten. He's been put on a cross. He's been scourged. He's gone through horrible, critical, and crucial time in his life. And, and the people here were happy to do it. First coming, man judged Jesus. Second coming, Jesus will judge all men. He gives you a chance to judge Jesus as best you want, but there'll be a day he will judge you. You ever feel like there are people out there who, want, who went to a spiritual gift conference <laughs> and they found out their gift in life was to destroy yours? You say, you are good at it, man. You're gifted because you are driving me crazy. And they got a gift for that. There's some people that have a gift at driving you crazy. They hurt you or they wound you. Some of you today are relationally wounded. If you ever go through one, it is probably the greatest source of what keeps you running for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's probably one of the greatest sources because you've got something you're holding on to and you won't forgive them. You're ready to quit. You want to stop serving. And yet Jesus tells us here he was mocked, he was spat upon, they treated him brutally, and the first statement he makes on the cross, he makes after they ha 
drive the nails into his hand just as the cross thumps down into the hole where he would be hanging upon it. And uh, there he is hanging there trying to grab himself up. It takes about two to three hours on a cross to be crucified for your shoulders to slowly dislocate. And then when they dislocate, the only way you can pull yourself up to breathe is you have to pick yourself up by the nails that are pushing against your feet. And you have to pull yourself up by the nails just to breathe. It's the cruelest way in the world to die. It is a slow death that is intended to be a slow death to give you as much pain as, he, as Rome can give you before you go into your eternity. It was the cruelest way to kill. And slowly they suffocated Jesus to death. <clears throat> While he's in that specific position, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's tough. That's tough. Now, let me say this to you tonight, okay? Don't do it for the person that's hurt you. You do it for yourself. You do it for yourself. You probably won't keep running if you have an unforgiveness in your heart because resentment is a dream killer. It kills your dreams. Resentment is a dream killer. It keeps people from ministry. I got a lady that quit making the communion bread. She was the best communion bread maker we had in our church. But she came up to me one day, I'm not going to make any more communion bread. You know, you always get those little wafers. They have no taste in them. So she started making the bread for us. She did it for years. One day she just said, I quit. I said, why are you going to quit? Nobody's ever thanked me. Nobody's ever thanked me for making this communion bread in the years that I have done it. I'm done. And she quit. People who taught Sunday school won't teach anymore. Somebody said something about them. Somebody hurt their feelings. Somebody did something to them, and they resented, and they quit. Some aren't even teaching today. Some are out of the choir because somebody said something. Somebody did something, and they won't forgive them. And that happens. That happens a lot. Matter of fact, the first important life lesson you've got to learn in the Christian life is you need to forgive people. That's the hardest thing to learn, but that's that you've got to walk in forgiveness. Jesus thought this was so important, he made it a part of our daily prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, I want you to treat me like I'm treating everybody else. Lord, would you forgive my debts, my sin debts, everything I've done against you? God, I'll prove to you that I really want that because I'll treat people the same way. And Jesus said, I want that in your prayer every day. I've had to have that in my prayer every day. That's why I got the seven things listed out for myself because there's sometimes I just don't want to do that and I have got to be reminded of that because it is very important to understand in your life. There's a little humble Korean guy. His name is... David Yonggi Cho. Has anybody ever heard of that name? Yonggi Cho? Okay. He has the world's largest church. His church is 128,000 people in Seoul, Korea. They can't even all get together under one building on Sunday morning. 
They have to meet in small groups and come and dip. They have shifts of the church all day long of people being able to come to church. And it's out over, under an, a huge overhang. He is one of the humblest men I know. And he pastors the largest church. He never raises his voice. I think you can even find him on the internet. Don't look it up now. But he was preaching on forgiveness one day. And here's what he said. I want you to remember this, okay? Every day, he says, I forgive so many people because I hate so many people. <laughs> Who would say that? Youngie Cho, that's what he said. I forgive so many people because I hate so many people. He's a pastor of 126,000 people, and that's what he said. I can relate to that sometimes, by the way. You have, to, you have to walk through this every day of your life. You're not going to get away from it. Uh, if you think a person has wronged you, and sometimes you have to pray, you have to pray that prayer right then. Sometimes you're reminded of go, driving in your car. Sometimes you're reminded at home. You put your head on the pillow. You have to remind yourself, Father, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. You got to do that. You're going to have to do that every day almost. I can think of people that have wronged me and I've had to pray more in the day because something will come in my mind and it will get in my head. And I'll say, I know I got to forgive that person again. And I'll have to pray right then. That's why I pray for more, some people more in my church than others. Because I have to pray for so much forgiveness. You've got to be honest about that in your own life. And so Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says it this way. If you will forgive others your trespasses, your Father will forgive you. But if you won't forgive your Father, if you won't forgive, your Father will not forgive your trespasses. Do not go to hell because you won't forgive somebody. That's a stronger way to say that. Don't you hold a grudge. I have people in my church on their deathbed would hold a grudge. One fella, he owned a wealthy restaurant in Kernersville. He was from Manatee. And he moved over to Kernersville, opened up a restaurant. Did very well, matter of fact, millionaire. But he wouldn't forgive his brother for the fight they had in Manatee. Manio. Manatee's the animal, isn't it? Manio, Manio. Uh, and um, he wouldn't forgive his brother. They had a fallout in their restaurant in Mana, Manito. And uh, I told him, I said, you're holding on to that thing. And he said, I know, i got to get rid of it. I can't get rid of it. I said, you've got to. And I told him that verse, just like I told you, Matthew 6. I said, if you won't forgive him, there's something wrong with your heart. And I don't know if you're unsaved or you're fooling yourself. But you've got to get that thing right. You cannot hold on to an unforgiving spirit in your heart. Last thing I'd want to do, because on my, he was on his deathbed. Called me in. He said, I'm still struggling. He's on his deathbed. That's very sobering to me. That's huge. Don't you dare minimize the seriousness of that verse in your life for unforgiveness. 
Doesn't mean you minimize the seriousness of what they did to you. What they did to you was probably wrong. Okay, they probably hurt you. And, and uh, I'm not saying what they did is okay. And it, there may not be instant restoration or trust in the relationship again. I'm not talking about trust in the relationship again. I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about forgiveness, and that's so important. All he's saying here is don't let it be on your record. Keep no records of wrong. Do not store those up. Let Christ take care of it, and you let it go. You let it go. Now, some of you don't need the next six lessons. You want to go home? Go home. You got it. You need to put that in your sail, let your wind catch your sail and go. That's all you really need to hear tonight is that you've got to do that one thing. There's somebody I'm holding a grudge against. I can't let it go. And he's saying, that's what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. Okay, there's number one. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Number two, help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Now, I love this one. This is beautiful. This is a beautiful principle. Go to Luke 23, verse 39 here, just down a little there. And one of the male factors... One of the thieves, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. I'm telling you, that is so powerful right there. Such a beautiful principle, and I just want you to test this one. Test this one and see how powerful it is. On your worst day, find somebody else who is in a worse day than you, and you encourage them on their worst day when you're in your worst day. That's the best thing you can do on your worst day, is find someone else is in their, who is in their worst day, and help them, you'll be shocked how better God will help you. I'm telling you, it's so simple, but it's true. These two criminals are there, and the one cries out to him, Lord, remember me. Now, what could have Jesus said on the cross? Man, I got my own issues going on here. I'm paying for the sins of the whole world right now, buddy. I don't got time for you. That's what he could have said. That's what a lot of people do on their worst day. They don't got time for nobody else because it's their bad day. And Jesus is on the cross. This day, you shall be with me in paradise. It's beautiful. He ministers to the thief while he, in fact, is paying for the sins of the world. He's helping somebody else on his worst day get to heaven. Have you ever witnessed to anybody on your worst day? That's the last day in the world that I want to witness to somebody. But Jesus Christ is witnessing to someone on his worst day. I got you covered, sir. You'll be with me. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about. It's a mystery, and yet it's a blessing. It's why I tell people in my church, invite someone to church. And what you'll find out is if they get saved or something happens in their life for the glory of God, it'll change you in incredible ways. It'll be more for you in the end than it will be for them. 
because it'll pump your soul that you invested yourself in someone else and were concerned about their life. You want to experience a dynamic Christianity. Be part of someone making a decision for God. It'll light your fire, I promise you that. Like nothing else. Listen to this verse now. This is a great verse from Scripture. I found this not too long ago, Isaiah 58.10. If you give yourself to the hungry... If you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom become like midday. Now, did you listen to that verse? He didn't say their light. He said your light, your light will shine. If you'll work in somebody's dark day when you're in a dark day, and you'll take your bad day and help somebody else on their bad day, God says, I'll see to it that your life's like a light. And it'll light up in a dark day, and the gloom will be gone from your day because you help somebody else out in their bad day. That's Scripture. That's the Scripture right there. That's a beautiful thought. Okay, so find somebody on your bad day. Okay, number three, let's go. Be sure to take care of those closest to you. On your bad day, be sure to take care of someone closest to you. John 19 for this one. Go over a few chapters here. John 19. I'm just taking them all from the four Gospels here. John 19, verse 26. Listen to this. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to his disciple, John, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his home. I find this absolutely amazing. Okay, here Jesus is, and he's on his worst day. It's important on your worst day to take care of the people you love. Isn't it amazing? It's absolutely amazing to me. You'll be nice to everybody else on your worst day. But you'll come home to your family and you'll slam dunk them. You'll attack them. You'll be short. You'll be hateful with them. The people that love you and you love them, you'll treat them worse than you'll treat your boss. It's an amazing thing you'll say something like this, they should understand. Because they're closest to me and they love me. But the truth of the matter is, you hurt people when you do that. When you dump on people because you're having a bad day, you usually pick your family. And that's the last people in the world that you want to pick. That's the wrong attitude. You should reverse that kind of thinking. Isn't it amazing how we do that? Your husband and wife, you can be going at each other. Phone rings. Hello. Can I help you? Oh, yes, that's a blessing. Thank you for telling me that. That's wonderful. Amen and amen. I'll talk to you later. And right at each other. I mean, you can pick it up right from where you left off. That's what people are like sometimes. They take it out on the people they're closest to. And they feel like it's okay. Well, they love me. I, I have the right to do that. No, you don't. You're going to ruin your relationships. Boy, he's telling the truth in here. I tell you that. Yes, I am. Telling the truth up in the church today, all right? 
Here's Jesus while he's dying. He looks down and he thinks, he's dying, okay? He thinks down, I got to take care of mom. I got to take care of mom. What am I going to do for her? He could have told John on Thursday night, John, if something happens to me, take care of mom. But he didn't tell him it on Thursday night. And the reason he didn't tell him it on Thursday night is because he wanted to see you and he wanted to teach you how to handle your family on your worst day. That's why he waited. So he waited to his worst day to show love to his family. Mom, here's your son. John, take care of mom. And on his worst day, he's loving him. Okay, let's go on. Number four. Number four, this is how he did it. Realize that until we get to heaven, there are some things you will never understand. Realize that until we get to heaven, there are some things you will never understand. Let's go to Matthew 27 for that one. Matthew 27. Let's see, Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I particularly like this one. When you get in a bad day and you feel like giving up, you know what one of the first things you say is? Why? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to go through this? Why does this have to come in my life now? This doesn't seem fair, God. What are you doing, God? Why, why, why? Do I really deserve this, God? If you're there, God, why are you not responding right now in my life? Enough already. And the proverbial questions come just like Jesus. Why? Why? Isn't it amazing? On his worst day, he's crying out to the Father. Why? I love that. I love that. Think about that. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why he has that happen and why we're told that? So you have a model of what to do on your worst day. You have a model of what you're to do on your worst day. At any rate, it helps me understand that Jesus understands me. Even in my worst day and what's going on, Driving down the road a few years back, and my wife was getting teary-eyed over the fact that her parents were in their 70s, and now they're in their 80s, and it really does look like they're not going to live a whole lot longer. And so she was starting to cry. And uh, I was looking over, and I could tell she was really upset about it. Her mom had, I don't know, eight months, was it eight months in the hospital with COVID? And was at the point of death for several Several times, the, the, uh, one of the units was even saying, just let her go. They said, we want to do everything we can to keep her alive. She lived through that. 
but her health has never really come back to the same level, and now her dad's health has been failing, but it upset her one evening. She was crying over it, and I just said to the Lord, Lord, give me a word to say. Give me a word to say. It was like the Lord spoke to me, and I said to my wife, Hebrews 4.15, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. I said, your mom has an appointment with death. She won't go one day early, and she won't go one day later. She is appointed to die on a certain day. You can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. And she can't do anything about it. And God knows the day. And whenever that day comes for her, it'll be the perfect day because it's the day she was supposed to die. As hard as that is, as difficult as that is, that is the truth. We don't understand the when, the where, the how. But God won't take her early. I promise you that. Whenever a person dies, as hard as this is to hear, it's the right day. I got a fellow who had an aneurysm coming home from the beach Saturday. Let me see, make sure I got that right, yeah. Saturday. He was in a Chick-fil-A parking lot in Rocky Mount. His neck burst. They were going to airlift him to Duke from Rocky Mount. And they said, there's nothing we can do. But within four hours, he was brain dead. I met with the family today. I wept with them. As hard as it is, it really is his day. God has appointed it. As difficult as that is, as hard as that is, when you see someone you're so close to die, there's another promise underneath that, that God was in total control of that. God was in total control of that. Paul said this, we see through a glass darkly. We can't see clearly now, but then face to face. One of the most dangerous places you'll get yourself into is the whys. Why? Why did you do it like you did it, God? Why did you let that happen? And when you get into the danger of the why and you stay there, we all get into it. But if you stay there, that's the critical time in your life of the greatest temptation to let it destroy you. I see that in my own life, and I want to warn you in your own life. What I've had to learn is I may not understand. I got questions. I got questions, why did my mom and dad die before I started full-time in a pastoral ministry? If there's one thing I wanted, I wanted them to come to my church and hear me preach. They never got to. My mom died of cancer, lymphoma cancer. And my dad, I think, died of a broken heart. He died five months later.
I got questions. There's a whole lot more than that. But I got some questions. But what I've learned is, I'm okay with not knowing now. I'm okay with not knowing now. That's where you got to get yourself to. I'm okay with not knowing now. And that's why Paul said we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. In other words, what he's saying is, you're going to get to heaven, and when you're face to face with Christ, the one thing you're going to say is, oh man, I, I can't believe it. You did it perfectly. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't see how you're going to put it all together, but now I see it because now I see you face to face and I see it all clearly. You did it exactly like it was supposed to happen. That's what you're going to do in heaven. You've got to believe that by faith for your life. And so, I'll say it again, okay? Realize that until we get to heaven, there are some things you will never understand. You're going to have some whys, but it all makes sense even on your worst day, even on your worst day. you got to remind yourself of that like I have to me. Okay, number five, number five. I like this one, okay? This was a good one. On one of your worst days, you need to be human enough to acknowledge your need. You need to be human enough to acknowledge your need. I took this one from John 19 as I was looking all this over the seven statements. Verse 28 and 29 says, after, excuse me, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Let's just stop there for a minute before you really get into the intent of that. You know one of the mistakes we make? The moment you need people the most, you clam up. You hold it in. You don't admit it. You don't admit you have a need. You don't admit you're struggling. You don't admit you're hurting. And you just kind of push through. And Jesus here, the living water, said, I got a need. I thirst. I thirst. He was willing to admit he had a need. None of us are self-sufficient. There are going to be times in our life where we're going to need somebody and we're going to need to open up and we're going to need to tell them something. And the last thing you want to do is when you have a struggle you're too tough, and you can handle it, and you just keep it to yourself. And I'm telling you, Jesus didn't do that. He said, I thirst. I think he's given us permission to be honest, to be honest with people. None of us have it all together. We, we need each other. I remember I was having a particularly bad day in my church, and I was just exhausted. I was frustrated. So I called up one of my buddies in the church. He was a deacon. And I said to him, here's what I said to him. I'm thirsty. He knew what I was saying to him because he'd heard this message. I said, I'm thirsty. I'm really hurting right now. And I told him what was going on in my life. And here's what he said. 
I got you covered. I won't miss a day lifting you up. Man, that's what I need to hear. I needed that. You better find someone in this church. You better find someone in your small group, your Sunday school, or your ministry. Don't you go uncovered. Don't you go unprotected. You can belong here if you want to. Okay? Now, if you want to just come here and not belong, then just clam up. But if you want to belong here, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to open up your heart. You're going to have to tell when people hurt you. You're going to have to talk to someone. So when you go to somebody, you need to have one person or two people or maybe three. Okay? You need to have one person. And they say to you, how you doing? And you look them right in the eyes and you say, terrible. You better have somebody like that. Or you're not functioning right in the body of Christ. Okay, enough on that one. Let's go to number six. Number six. Be assured of this. There is a purpose and an end. John 19.30. John 19.30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. All right? Be assured there is a purpose and an end in Jesus' bad day. So therefore, I assume from the scriptures there's a purpose and end in your bad day. You can't have a bad day and not have a purpose in it by God. Okay, that's important to understand, because if you don't understand that, you'll, you'll struggle with this, okay? Every bad day has a purpose, and number two, it has an end. <laughs> There's just two simple thoughts. Two things will happen on your bad day. God will somehow create and take the bad stuff that has happened to you, and he will turn it into good. If you're his child, he'll do that. He'll turn it into good. And number two, God will create some kind of purpose out of that bad day. There is always a purpose. He may not have created the bad in your life, but he has allowed the bad, but he will do something in your life that is powerful because there's always a purpose in your bad day and there's always a time that will end. It's beautiful. It's beautiful if, you just, if you'll just get a hold of that. One day it will be over. No more sighing, no more crying, no more dying, no more taxes, no more traffic. It will be awesome but no bad day in your life has ever got to be pointless. There's always a point to your bad day. It is never pointless. No bad day will ever be unending in your life either. No bad day will ever be unending because Jesus has the power to put purpose in your day and he has the power to say when it'll be over. That's beautiful. It's beautiful, just like for Jesus. There's a day it was going to be over. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Those were not his last words because he wasn't talking about his, life, his, his uh, life being taken. He was talking about conquering sin there. It is finished. He's talking about the fact that your sin has been paid for. Death has been conquered. Satan has been defeated. That wasn't for himself to say it is finished. 
That was for us to hear that. It's a beautiful thing because he was telling you one day it's going to be over. 2 Corinthians 4.16, I wrote this down. Our outward man is decaying. Our inward man is renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond our comparison. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Every bad day you got has a purpose and it will end. It's good to know that. It's good to know that. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying there. It's getting ready to be over. Don't shrink back. Don't give up because he who is coming will not delay. I've run myself right out of time. Let me give you number seven we'll close. All right, number seven. Finally, surrender your bad day to God and let it go. Surrender your bad day to God and let it go. You got these down? I hope you got these down. Get them on your fridge, okay? You're going to need them one day. I promise you that, all right? Luke 23, verse 46. Let me just read that one. Luke 23, verse 46. It says, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. I love that. I love that. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He died in his physical body. He never died in his spiritual body. Never saw corruption in Psalms chapter 2. But he said, Father, I commend my spirit to you. It's beautiful. Some of you need to do this. Some of you need to do this. You've been trying to save it or solve it yourself. And you can't solve it yourself. You, what God's really saying is, I just want you to surrender it. I don't want you to solve it. I want you to surrender it. Just like Jesus Christ. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I give it to you. I can't fix it. I can't make it happen. It's yours. Now, you can try to figure it out yourself. Good luck with that. But the truth of the matter is, God says, just, just give it to me. Just surrender it to me. It's beautiful. I love that. Eight oh three, not bad. Let's pray. Just with every head bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here and you've never taken the first step to surrender to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you'd like to make that commitment tonight and you'd say, I need to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me shed his blood is there one here that would raise his hand tonight and just say that's my need tonight I need to be saved I need to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ I don't want to assume everyone here is saved just lift up that hand no one's looking around but just let me see that and say pray for me Pastor Rob I'm not sure I'm saved but I want to be saved I don't see any hands tonight If you have listened to me tonight, I want you to pick one thing on that list 
that the Spirit of God spoke to you personally about. Not seven, just pick one. That when I was speaking to you, the Spirit of God was speaking to you. Just through me. I'm, I'm just a mouthpiece. But he was speaking through me to you by the Spirit of God and saying, that's your one. I want you to settle that. I want you to put that before my cross. Maybe you got something difficult in your marriage. Maybe there's a family situation, your job, your health, your finances. Here's what I want you to do with every head bowed and eyes closed. If there's one thing that you would say that I need to surrender, I want you to surrender it tonight. And here's how we're going to do it. I just want you to be right there at your seat. And I want you to lift up both your hands as high as you can lift them and say, tonight I surrender that one for me, for you, God. We just lift them up right now where you are. Just two hands. you got one thing in your life that you need to surrender. Yes, keep those hands up for just a minute. Can you hear him softly speaking to you? This is the one. Just lift it up and say, I surrender. I surrender. Father God, every hand that is up here tonight, these two hands raised, I pray your spirit over them. God, give them the grace and the power and the authority to rest in you tonight for that need they have in their life. And I pray your hand over them now, Father, for your glory and for your honor. And I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may put your hands down. Thank you for that tonight. Let's stand together. He's going to lead us in a song tonight. What is it? What's... Pass me not. Pass me not. Okay. We'll do pass me not tonight. If there's still a need, something else in your life you'd like to bring to the altar tonight, of course, the altar's open. You come. God's speaking to you about something you want to bring before him tonight. You come tonight.